Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio, your source for breaking news, business trends, and economic forecasts here and abroad that impact one-third of America's economy. And now your hosts, Lou Weiss and Tim Grady. We are with uh, James Gellert, who is the chairman and CEO of Rapid Ratings here at ISM 2000 in Orlando, Florida. James is going to share with us some information about getting your suppliers rated and the real interesting challenge is that there's kind of several worlds out there. Depends on whether your suppliers are public, are they private, is there a mix? I think James has the right solution with rapid ratings. James, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's good to be with you. Well, you also you do both public and private That's in correct. terms of ratings. So share a little bit about what Rapid Ratings does, please. So Rapid Ratings is a, a SaaS solution. So we are a subscription-based business, and our clients can access through our portal our database of public companies, and we get their public company disclosures, use their financial statements for uh, putting through our ratings process. Uh, it's an algorithmic system, 24 uh, integrated industry models that allows us to look at companies from anywhere in the world, from any industry, on a common basis and score them on a 0 to 100 scale with a couple of operative outputs that uh, help give long and short-term perspectives on the financial health of companies. Private companies, as you identify, is a, uh, is a common problem. Mm-hmm. And particularly when you think about supply chains, typically we find that between 75 and 80% of companies' suppliers by numbers are private companies. So it's a major challenge. It may not be where the biggest spend is, but it's certainly where the largest numbers of companies are. And most of our clients don't actually get financial disclosure, certainly on a systematic basis, from private companies. So we have a solution for that, and it is a uh, solicitation process that we go through. So we will reach out to private companies on our clients' behalf to collect the financials from them. And it's a fully uh, baked-in process. It's an automated uh, process that they can initiate uh, electronically, and uh, a supplier will get a note uh, that comes from ostensibly our client on their letterhead that explains that they're going through a risk management process with us to evaluate them. They're not being singled out, uh, but it's a it's a systematic process. And uh, we go ahead and we collect those financials and we put them through the system. And our clients get uh, the financial health ratings of their publics and privates. And in many cases, the end users don't even know which one is public and which one is private. They just know that they're getting access to in-depth analysis on the companies they're working with more so than they ever have before. What uh, percentage of the private companies give in to your uh, requests for information? I I like the expression to give in. Uh, (laughs) And and it is true that in many cases uh, we have to speak to the private company a number of times, explain to them what the confidentiality nature is and how we're protecting their content and their, their very private information. Um, but we have an 86% success rate in getting them to disclose financials. And we're doing this around the world. Uh, we've rated tens of thousands of companies, including thousands of uh, what we would call SMEs, uh, small to mid-sized companies in mainland China, just as one example. Mm-hmm. And that's certainly an area where a lot of people have a lot of suppliers and a lot of concerns mm-hmm. uh, about getting more transparency. And uh, so this is something that we do all around. And it's interesting. We find that a lot of the uh, that that uh, small percentage that are reluctant, uh, it's not 
just the worst companies that, that are most concerned. It's actually the companies that are doing extremely well and don't want to share their margins mm -hmm. with their uh, with their clients, lest uh, it come back to haunt no. them at the next uh, contract renegotiation. I wasn't aware that in the part of this process they're revealing their margins. Well, they're revealing their income statement, their balance sheet, and their cash flows. So they're revealing everything. Okay. <laughs> figure it out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if, if, that, that we can figure out, yes. Uh, we, we actually look at uh, 73 different ratios per analysis, and uh, they are uniquely weighted to the importance of those ratios historically in that industry. So we're looking at, uh, again, apples to apples in the output, but the inputs, while the same, are treated differently depending on the industry. So you wouldn't want to evaluate a services company the way you're looking at a logistics company, the way you're looking at a metal fabricator. James, correct me if I'm wrong. Has something changed in the last 10 years in the risk assessment of suppliers where it's become more necessary, more intense, more frequent? I think a lot of things have changed. Uh, certainly the role of risk in supply chain, uh, in supply chain relationship management, is a bigger topic just over the last five years. If you had gone to an ISM uh, conference uh, six years ago, seven years ago, and longer, you wouldn't see very many tracks talking about risk. You wouldn't see many segments talking about risk. And financial risk, I think, historically has been kind of a box-checking exercise. You would mm -hmm. look at the, you know, the payment history of a company and say it was fine and therefore you can work with them. I think the, the, the real shift is that um, there are probably two. One, understanding that financial risk itself is something that can be more telling, not just of is that company going to be around in a year to pay their bills and to be able to deliver on their promises to you, but understanding that financial risk is interconnected with a lot of other areas and a lot of other things that have been typically more, let's say, logistics and operations areas. We just completed a uh, the first phase of a study looking at high-risk and very high-risk companies by our financial health ratings and found that there's a two times greater likelihood that a high-risk or very high-risk company will deliver a faulty part and a 2.6 times greater likelihood that they will deliver it late. Hmm. Or deliver, or just have late. They, they might deliver a perfectly fine part, but they're delivering it late. But the, the the bottom line to that study is that there's a connected nature to financials and how companies are going to perform in all of the areas of their business. Cyber risk, for instance, a huge topic these days, all through supply chains, and. Uh, how well positioned is a company to continue to invest and stay ahead of technology or stay at the forefront of technology for preventing cyber attacks? A company that is weakening from a financial perspective is likely to delay decisions and investments, have less wherewithal and flexibility to stay on top of certain areas and therefore risks emerge. And so I think that's really one big area. The other is what something that I think we're promoting a lot, which is that there's more value in a supply chain to transparency, and that there's a commercial value to a supplier in disclosing things like financials that historically they wouldn't have before. So I think those two are really big changes. Uh, <clears throat> I know that a lot of our uh, listeners are ISO registered, and we talked a few moments before the, the show uh, about ISO changing adding to their uh, mix of skills and so on that 
uh, companies need to have in order to have a good quality management system. And one of them that they added last year was risk assessment management, which falls right into your uh, your playbook. Right. Um, and uh, it, it creates a lot of extra uh, work because what you used to do, you tell, well, we used to buy, we, this customer used to buy from us for two, three years, and he was always good. And, well, things change in a month, and you may not be aware of it unless you have a, an appropriate system set up to be able to handle that. So it's, it's a very important point that we're talking about. Well, thank you. I, I think the, the, the question of risks in a company um, are twofold. There's the question of whether you're working with, let's say, a supplier that is weakening and therefore you have to protect yourself so you're not making commitments to your commercial side of your business uh, by aligning with a weakening player that is going to have some impact on your company. It could be revenue impact. It could be reputational impact. It could just be disruption and resourcing, time and cost and all of those problems. But the other side of it is aligning with the most robust suppliers possible to be able to create a resilient supply chain or a resilient third-party ecosystem more broadly. And I think that's really where, you know, ISO and, and some of the other, you know, uh, areas where standards are being promoted or where regulation is coming into play to say you must do more risk assessments of third parties. And, and I think ultimately, while more work for everybody, it's probably quite good because the more aligned a, uh, a company is with its suppliers, the better off they are when they want to expand business and give more business to those suppliers. And if they're going to knock over a supplier because it is not well positioned to be able to grow with them over the long term, then it's only been a short-term relationship and they haven't really done the right work as a supply chain risk organization in making sure that they're working with the right folks. James, what's the backstory here? Uh, Rapid Ratings has been around how long and how did you get involved in it? What's the passion? Well, so uh, I personally have been, uh, I've had a couple of different phases of my career. I was a banker uh, for uh, the first part of my career, uh, raising capital for companies and, uh, and banks and sovereign entities around the world, and got into the technology world back in 2000. Uh, Rapid Ratings was a prospective client of one of the companies that I had, uh, that I had started with a gentleman named Douglas Cameron. It was a boutique investment banking firm, and Rapid Ratings was looking for a, uh, for a buyer. The owner of the company was a, a firm called Collection House in Australia. And the original founder of the business, Dr. Patrick Carragata, had created this really amazing uh, system uh, to uh, assess financial health. Mm -hmm. We thought, uh, you know, yes, we could be a, a banker for them and we could find a buyer, or we thought we had already found a buyer. And we put a, a deal on the table, if you will, incorporating Patrick uh, in, our, uh, in our partnership, and we ended up buying the business off of the company that owned it. Sold the broker-dealer in the consulting business and, uh, and moved into running rapid ratings full-time. I think really the, the, uh, the excitement at first was recognizing that there needed to be a better way and a better way of assessing companies' risk, um, different than the traditional rating agencies like S&P and Moody's, uh, different from some of the incumbents in the corporate risk space uh, that do payment history, and really to be able to find something that is consistently uh, replicable quarter after quarter after quarter in assessing companies, 
to do it on a wide-scale basis with greater analytical rigor than, uh, than people have done before and to be able to bring that in an affordable way to companies so they can get more transparency into their third parties. So uh, obviously it's, it's going well for you. Um, is this the kind of rating where I, as the uh, company that is engaged rapid rating, can feel like I'm looking at uh, maybe the, the next 90 days, I have a sense of futures with this company, not just past performance? Yeah, absolutely. In, in fact, the, the really two operative scores that we produce with all of the data that we're analyzing um, is a core health score, which looks out two to three years. Mm. So it is forward-looking uh, by design. And it's assessing the 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 efficiency and the resiliency within that company in order to determine how well it's positioned against its industry peers globally mm. in a longer-term basis. So we look at a wide variety of measures. 62 different uh, ratios are used to look at different aspects of that company's profitability and working capital efficiency, cost structure efficiency, things like that. Then we modify that with resiliency indicators to look one year forward. And that one year forward uh, has a default probability associated with the with the rating. They're both zero to hundred scores, but then we provide a percentage default probability. Mm -hmm. And really, that's helping companies understand: is this company that's being rated that we're looking at, is it worth the long term relationship? Is it worth a short term relationship, or both? And there are plenty of times when there's a company that is strong long term, but has short term weaknesses. Its liquidity is poor. Its leverage is poor. Something like that. But you can also see situations where a company uh, long-term is weak, but short-term is fine. So it helps uh, our clients make a more dynamic decision, uh, put it into a more dynamic decision-making process. How do they want to work with a business, and uh, do they need to communicate with that company more to be able to make different kinds of long-term decisions? There are plenty of cases where, uh, where clients of ours are uh, evaluating a, uh, a supplier and see that it's got a short-term problem, but long-term they feel like they want to be aligned with it, mm -hmm. and they can help with those short-term problems by engaging in a dialogue with them. So mm. it's very much about trying to create more of a partnership and facilitate that partnership that the industry is moving more towards, this sort of whole supply chain world is moving more towards. And does Rapid Ratings also then turn around and look at my customer, the to see is my customer solvent, strong, et cetera? Absolutely. So we, we do work with credit departments and finance departments on the customer side of the business. Sometimes that's uh, trying to help them determine to work with someone or not, sell them something or not, what mm -hmm. kinds of terms, what kinds of pricing uh, they want to apply to that. And when you think about both sides of that business, we're really talking about a big element of enterprise risk and being able to help a company at some of its most material basic needs, which is evaluating who they work with, mm -hmm. determining whether they're strong, whether they've aligned themselves well, and whether the entire cash turn in the company is tied into a consistent risk management process and signals, and to make sure that all parts of the business are speaking with a common language. And when they're assessing the risks and using a common language to identify them, and everyone in an organization knows what that means, there's a lot of efficiency that's created as opposed to having silos or maybe even worse, having some areas that do some, some assessments of uh, risk and others that don't at all. Uh, we're really facilitating people being able to speak from, in, uh, from a common language and a common playbook. 
In the world of the large public companies, I'm sure there is a failure rate, an annualized failure rate. Do you know what that is? Does it exist? Failures of suppliers? Yeah. I'm sure there is one. I don't know what it is. With our clients, it's probably below the average, I would guess. What we're finding is when our clients track the period of time that they're implementing our solution to manage suppliers, they're never going to eliminate failure entirely. But they're minimizing it and they're preparing for it when it may come. And there was a recent presentation that I made with a client of ours, GE Healthcare, that was at a supply chain event. And they were talking about some specific cases, interestingly, of companies that wouldn't disclose the financials to us and what they were able to do with that information. And the very fact that they were noncompliant when we have an 86% success rate in getting financials from privates, the fact that they were able to reduce the numbers of parts that they would buy from these individual suppliers and protect themselves in the terms and the contract arrangements with those suppliers, when those two suppliers ultimately filed for bankruptcy, they were prepared. And the reduction of numbers of companies that people are working with based on the financial health rating has been substantial. But it's not just about stopping work. It's about being able to anticipate where problems may arise and then designing the workflow with that partner accordingly. So I think it's not as binary as work or not work with another firm. It's really about how you use the information to design what you're going to do, how you're going to do it, and how you protect yourselves. James, in your analysis of the supplier, do you go through the supplier to their suppliers? You're looking tier one, tier two. How far back can you look, do you look? Well, I love the question because it is absolutely where the industry is heading, not just in manufacturing but in finance. So a lot of the banks and other financial institutions that we help with managing third parties, they're looking at fourth parties and fifth parties, and the regulators that are forcing them to do this at all are telling them that they have responsibility to the nth party. So in manufacturing and supply chain, sort of that second tier and third tier suppliers are where over 50% of failures actually occur. So I think it's 41% of failures comes from tier ones. Everything else is tier two and tier three and beyond. So what we're doing is allowing our clients to use the numbers of private ratings that they have embedded in their subscription, and they can use it for tier ones or they can work with a tier one to use it on tier twos. And we're happy to go get the financials from the tier two or the tier three. And we think being able to provide transparency into tier ones is great. Being able to provide transparency that extends through the supply chain into those other tiers so everyone benefits from that dialogue and communication is really very exciting. So that's an area that I think we're going to be trying to work with our clients more over the next 24 months. Yeah, I think that's critical because we've heard a lot of, you know, we can give you answers on your tier one, but they don't have much on tier two and almost nothing on tier three. And I think, again, this gets back a bit to partnership because it's one thing many companies don't even know what the tier threes are. Or 
I was in a panel uh, here two days ago talking about uh, talking about the 360 degree view of suppliers, and, uh, and one of my co-panelists was talking about the example of Hanjin, uh, the shipping company, mm-hmm. and. The, the shipping company was not a direct supplier to very many companies, but a lot of companies were affected by it because right. they were buying from a supplier. The supplier was getting their own goods and those from uh, through Hanjin as the logistics uh, transport, and their chain was disrupted. So it, it isn't always about knowing who they are, but if you can foster that communication into the supply chain, starting with your Tier 1s, and have them realize that this is not necessarily an antagonistic, threatening process, but it's one that strengthens everybody, then communicating with them about their Tier 1s, your Tier 2s, and so forth, and being able to get more of that collaboration and that, uh, and that transparency and the sharing of that information that ultimately lets us do our ratings and then have them all talk from the ratings outcome. That's a major change and a big improvement in uh, in the way people are managing supply chains today. Clearly. Well, James, we appreciate you being with us. Uh, Rapid Ratings is doing some very innovative things that clearly are going to help your clients. Uh, very excited to hear you do both public and private because that's always the uh, – am I standing on my right foot or my left foot, and how do I get both pieces of information because they deal with both. That's right. Uh, so that's that's an excellent uh, approach that you've taken to the market. We appreciate you being on Manufacturing Talk Radio. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. We've been talking with James Geller, who is chairman and CEO of Rapid Ratings. And if you want to get a hold of those folks, you can go to their website, which is rapidratings.com. I hope you take a look-see and uh, have a conversation with James Geller or any of his fine folks at Rapid Ratings. And thanks for listening to this segment. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.